Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 90, Milestone episode in the zone. Giancarlo Alino hosting today with uh, Chris Martelli, the co-host, and Anthony Piniello, other co-host. Uh, we thought we'd kick it off with something that, you know, was a little bit of a fan favorite. We got a special guest, Mikey. Uh, another edition of Mikey's Minute to kick things off. Mikey, how you doing? I'm doing good, boys. It's been a while. What's going on? <laughs> um, good. Uh, how's the summer been treating you? Getting out? You know, yeah, 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 you know, it's been all right. A lot of reading, a lot of fishing, you know, just kicking it down at the ranch there. You know how it goes, boys. <laughs> Chris, any questions for our special guest, Mikey? Well, Seattle just made a new team. I just want to, uh, are you uh, interested in any position on that team? Uh, or just tell me your initial thoughts on the release of the Seattle Kraken. Well, you know, the logo looks kind of fucking dumb, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm honored for the Seattle Kraken, for them to call me, I would be honored to take a position there. You know, I am Mike Babcock for fuck's sake. I've been on Team Canada multiple times. Very decorated man. So, you know what? If Seattle gives me the opportunity, definitely jumping at that. Thank you so much, Mike. Always a pleasure, boys. Ah, that was Mikey. Great to have him back. You know, he was a quick little minute. He was uh, fishing. So, reception's a little bad at the cottage over there, but... Uh, Guys, let's kick this off with the scrimmage that we saw in the NHL. The Leafs and Habs was weird. The Habs were using the Leafs room. I don't know. Like, they couldn't just send them to the other side of the rink. But uh, the Leafs won. Nick Robertson got an assist. What were your, uh, I guess, Chris, I'll ask you this first. What were your initial thoughts on Nick Robertson and uh, this whole win for the Leafs? Um, Nick Robertson, to me, looked a little, uh, he looked a little nervous, but that's normal. Everyone in their first game kind of doesn't do as well as that kid that got four goals. So uh, you're not really going to see a debut as perfect as that one. But this one was not too bad. He, he did look a little nervous at times, but he was uh, he was in the game a lot. I thought that, you know, him being on that third line uh, was perfect. You know, play him in around like 12 minutes, 13 minutes to start. And uh, he, this is just him getting his feet wet. So. Uh, he looked a little sloppy at times, but I think he'll only adjust as uh, more and more shifts go on. So for me, you know, not not a lot to really complain about, but I'm I'm excited to see what this guy can do in, in maybe two or three weeks' time with this team. Uh, with that being said, though, that third line, I think, was the best line of that game, even though like it was the first exhibition game and it was kind of sloppy all around. Him with uh, Kapanen and Kerfoot, I thought that was a solid mix. I don't know if they they should probably keep that going. Yeah, it's like Kapanen, I thought, was working well, even on the penalty kill when they had him around there. But uh, Kerfoot, I thought this was a big game for him because he's probably one of those guys that they're looking at. They expect a lot more. They was included in that trade for Kadri. Tyson Berry hasn't really worked out. And then Robertson comes in, big opportunity. Uh, Mikheyev looked great, I thought. His first game in a long time since that big injury he had. Uh, what do you think they should change uh, for the weekend, like for Sunday when they play Columbus? What would you hope is different about this lineup? Uh, I would probably mix it up a bit. You know, with Carolina, they bring a lot of skill to the to the table. So we might not see a Robertson, and we maybe not might not see like an Engvall in the lineup, I think a little more consistently, unfortunately. I think even like defensemen like Justin Hall, I, I feel like this is now the time where they're going to be in and out of the lineup. They want to see what Lil Grin can do. They want to see what Sanding can do. And they even want to see what a couple other AHL guys can do. I think that's the main thing there. I really do like 
the the setup they had in the first scrimmage with the like Pinello said with the third line. You know, you have a lot of skill on that line, but Kapanen can go in the corners. He can hit. He can do his job. Um, but in terms of what I expect with Carolina, I expect probably them to either outskill and and out outskate Carolina, which is very tough to do. But I feel like maybe they'll keep Nick Robertson for game two here against Carolina just based off of they have a really good defensive game, Carolina. So maybe they want the, the most skilled forwards in the lineup. But I would maybe give Kyle Clifford a little more love. I feel like, you know, the older these players are, the more they need to work out and the more they need to play. So I feel like guys like Clifford and Spezza, they need to stay in the lineup, I think, for the next couple games just to adjust and to uh, maintain their uh, their workout regimen to, you know, really help out this Leaf team. So I, I guess for now, I'll just say maybe put Kyle Clifford in instead of like a Gauthier just for now, just to get his legs going a little more because he is older. Yeah, uh, pretty much the same thing. I'm generally keeping things the same. It's just going to be like the six, seven D or the fourth line. For me, I think I'd rather have the goat in there. I know what Clifford brings, but I don't know, watching Gauthier a couple days ago, he's looking a little faster. You may need that big body to play center at times, take some face-offs. So it's, it's going to come down to like Gauthier, uh, Clifford, and like Robertson on the last day. We saw our boy Marinson, who seems to, the guy's a fucking cockroach. I don't know how the hell he keeps playing on this team. But uh, he'll probably get some games in. We'll see if he's a last-minute cut or not. But I like what the Leafs got going on. I really wouldn't change a whole lot. And now with, uh, you know, playoffs starting right away. So it's not like they have the NBA type of schedule where it's like eight games, finish a regular season. They're jumping right in the playoffs after an exhibition game. Do you think uh, they have what it takes to beat Columbus right now based on the way Columbus plays? Uh, I think, again, it's based on matchups. It's based off of coaching ability. It's based off of uh, who wants it more. I think uh, Columbus... They, they have the advantage in terms of story, the storyline. You know, no one's really talking about Columbus as beating Toronto, plain and simple. It's in Toronto. Uh, the fans are going to be bumping here. Um, we're all excited to see Matthews, Tavares, Marner, all these guys coming back. They're going to score. They're going to want to score. But, guys, for me, the story of this series is the goaltending for Columbus because Elvis has been incredible all season. Corpusalo had that big injury, and even before that, he looked pretty damn solid as well. Both these goalies are under 25 years old, so the GM, Kekalainen, and he has, a, he has a lot of big decisions to make for the future, and I think this is exactly where it starts. This series right here against Toronto, this will give him a better idea of who the starting goalie for the future will be for this team. You also have a lot of mainstays and guys that you can build around, like Pierre-Luc Dubois, Cam Atkinson, yes, he's like 30 years old, but he does not look that up at all. He's a great goal scorer. He could he could bury it, and he can he could torment your team at any time. Another guy that we don't really talk about nearly enough, at least the last couple of years, I'd say, based off of the injuries, is Zach Wierenski. I mean, two years ago, he was considered one of the best players under 25, and I still think that's the case. He's a solid defenseman, and I think the, him and Seth Jones are going to give the Leafs I think a lot of problems in the first one or two games. So I do think the Leafs have enough to beat Columbus. I just think it's going to be a lot closer than fans expect. Uh, I think we got everything to lose in this series. As good as Columbus is, um, I think everyone's looking at last year's team and kind of, 
putting that up against us. Like, because with Merce Lincolns and Ned, I think that's the chance for the Leafs offense to really take over because they don't have a guy like Bobrovsky anymore to bail them out of game. So this should be a close series. The matchup is very intriguing, two very different teams, but man, the Leafs really got to go all out here. Yeah, this is uh, that could be an interesting one because it's like eight versus nine. And then you look at some of the other matchups here uh, New York, Carolina. Brady Shea, it's a little weird. They traded him thinking they weren't going to really make the playoffs, even though they're making that push. And now he's playing against his old team. And uh, you have other matchups in the West that can surprise some people like Chicago and Edmonton, Arizona, Nashville. Uh, who do you think can actually get a big surprise and get through the first round? It's a team that maybe no one's expecting. Um, a lot of people don't really talk enough about this team that I'm going to mention, but I will say if there's going to be like a flat out surprise that I see happening, especially after what I watched last night, I'll go with Minnesota beating Vancouver. I think that could be a surprise that really no one sees because, you know, everyone's talking about Pedersen and Besser and Quinn Hughes and, you know, the excitement in Vancouver is at an all time high because, you know, they're young, they're great, but I don't know. Like last night, what I saw from that team, they didn't look good at all. You know, you have guys like on the third line, like Goddett, um, you know, Berchi, Erickson. These guys, I, I don't think they're good enough when it comes to, you know, playoff hockey. Pedersen and Besser are really going to have to pull their weight in this series. I know that they can. Pedersen's a he's a guy that could easily get you four points in a game. He can take over whenever he wants. But I just love the veteran leadership in Minnesota. I mean, a lot of people make fun of them as like they don't have an identity. You have Ryan Suter, who it, to me, he's not slowing down at all. He's still playing around 24, 25 minutes a game. Zach Parise, you guys could laugh all you want. He's pretty, pretty much healthy now from his injuries. And last year, he almost had 30 goals. So I don't see why, why Minnesota can't upset Vancouver, kind of like Alino, like what you were saying with Arizona, with Nashville. I'm kind of going all in with Minnesota beating Vancouver. I think that could happen, and uh, I don't think it. I don't think it's really far fetched. I think Dubnik, yes, he had a terrible year, but again, uh, playoff time is a completely different time in the season. I think Dubnik can smarten up, and I think he could easily upset a guy like a Markstrom uh, in the first round. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they're sleepers. They don't really get talked a whole lot for um, playoff-wise, but for me, the New York Rangers, um, they're going up against Carolina. They, I just found this out a few days ago. They swept them in the season, apparently. It wasn't even close. So if I'm Carolina, I'm pretty pissed off that I got that matchup. And um, I'm, just, I'm excited to see this Rangers team because everyone talks about Panarin for the heart and all that, but when it comes to the playoffs, no one really takes the Rangers as a serious threat. I'm excited to see him and Zibanej, Adam, what they can really do together. And with Carolina in the first round, I'm not saying that's a layup for them, but they own them all year. So the Rangers have a shot to go pretty far. Yeah, I agree with that. Like the Rangers, I think, are in a good spot because Panarin, uh, he's a game breaker. And then you have Zibanejad, Lundqvist, even though people are writing him off as being that veteran goalie, all the experience he has, he can come in. And Carolina don't have a match for that with Reimer and Morazic. So. I think that's a horrible matchup for them. I think they would have liked maybe Florida instead. Uh, Florida, I think, is good. If Bobrovsky turns it on, they should cruise by against the Islanders. Uh, but if I'm going to a real surprise, I'm going to go still with Arizona. I like this team. Uh, Taylor
for a contract. He wants big money. The GM dipped because uh, I don't think he wants to deal with that and have that being attached to his whole career going forward if uh, Taylor Hall ends up being horrible next year. But uh, Hall's playing for a contract. You have Phil Kessel, playoff performer every year, gets point per game, uh, has been a guy who has really helped Pittsburgh and Toronto and Boston uh, throughout. So he's consistent in the playoffs. And then you have the younger players stepping up. So I'm still going to go with them. And then uh, Darcy Kemper's an X factor for them. So uh, if there's a huge surprise, I see it being Arizona. Do you guys see um, Philadelphia really doing any damage? We all know they have the, the buy, but do, do you really see them as a buy team? Because a lot of people that I've talked to, they don't really see Philly as that threatening, you know, top four in the East. Because, you, you know, you're looking at you're looking at Tampa Bay, Washington, and Boston. I mean, they're on different levels. Like, we all know how great those three are. But then you kind of look at Philly, and they didn't make the playoffs last year, and now they're a top four team in the East. It kind of looks funny. But do you guys really believe that Philly is a top contender in the East? Or do you think this was just them getting hot at the right time in the season? Well, they were getting hot at the right time in the season. Kind of very similar to Edmonton, who I think should have been in the top four, and then this COVID thing fucked their whole thing up. Philly's the same way. They kind of jacked Pittsburgh's spot, and now they got the bye in the first round. I don't know. Because of they're probably going to get Pittsburgh, it's going to be very tough for them. I think their advantage would, um, ironically, up the middle, even though they got Sid and Malkin. I know they're going to load it up, but you look at Couturier, who was up for the Selkie this year. Uh, Claude Giroux always rolling. Kevin Hayes on that third line center is a matchup nightmare. So I think Philly's got a good chance. I don't think they're one of the top teams in the league, but um, they'll definitely give the Pens or the Habs a run for their money. Yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know. It depends if they reseed. I think Toronto being eight and nine, Columbus is nine. So the top seeded team, which Knowing our luck will probably be Boston if Toronto gets past, and then you're looking at Toronto, Boston in an empty arena. Uh, Tampa would probably be with. Uh, I'm just looking at maybe the Islanders, and then yeah, you're probably looking at Philly, Pittsburgh again. So I don't see Philly being a top like four finish. I think they were just got hot at the right time. I don't see them winning all three games against uh, those teams like you mentioned, Boston, Tampa, and uh, I think. They're just not good enough at that level. So I think they'll end up being fourth at the end of that and then matched up with the top uh, play-in team. So good luck against Pittsburgh, I guess. Well, kind of like a similar situation. Let's go to the West quickly. I want to quickly talk about two, two things in the West to me that sticks out. Number one is that Dallas managed to get a bye, which to me is... Just mind-blowing, just looking at the year that they've had. I think offensively, we all know how disappointing Dallas has been, at least in terms of fantasy. Jamie Benn, not the same player he was a couple years ago. Tyler Sagan, year after year, we expect more, and he just doesn't deliver. Not knacking him at all. He's a great offensive player. We just have expected him to reach that extra level. And then, of course, we all know this was a very disappointing season for Alex Radulov. He last year had a point. He was at a point per game, and then he almost ha- only had 40 points this year. Guys, how important has Ben Bishop been to this Dallas squad? And do you like kind of like I'm going to say with Philly? Do you see Dallas as that contender? Because last year they were literally a period 
and a goal away from going to the Stanley Cup final. So what are your initial thoughts on Dallas's seeding? And do you guys see them really doing any damage? Uh, I like the Philly comparison. I'd probably take Philly over Dallas, honestly. But um, I don't see them. I don't really take them that seriously. Ben Bishop's been um, probably their best player all year. Definitely their best. But um, I think it goes to show, like Ben and Sagan, I guess they don't have to score 80, 90 points every year. Everyone wants Sagan to hit the 50-goal mark. And then this is the first year everyone kind of has a down year offensively. And then they somehow crack, crack the top four. So I don't know what they're doing. Defense and goaltending has been a big part over there. But um, if they can keep that going, their forwards can be consistent enough. You know, we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Depends. I think uh, they're similar to Philly where they're going to be the fourth place team out of that uh, whole playing the one game against each of the other top three teams. So you're looking at maybe Edmonton if they get past Chicago, or you're looking at like the winner of Calgary as a potential opponent. And I think it would just be another grinded out series. I don't see Dallas getting past that, like a four game sweep. Maybe it'll be something where they're in six games. So their veterans are really going to come up huge for them. If they have any intention of getting past, and they got to hope Bishop is uh, on top of his game and that the four months didn't really age a goaltender because you know how like some players once they hit that age they're like slowly going downhill around this time so hopefully he's at 100 percent, or else their whole playoff uh success won't be uh achieved the the way they want last year oh yeah Uh, another thing that upsets me and this is coming from the matchups and we talked a lot of guys have talked about edmonton you know not getting the top four spot in that screws up their process how about winnipeg because i thought winnipeg at the beginning of the year i thought they would be a top three team easily in the western conference i thought they would easily finish maybe between third and fifth and you know unfortunately they're not in the bye week you know they just missed it then now they have a tough matchup with calgary if you're a winnipeg fan do you believe that this was more of an off year or would you say this was just about right Uh, i'd say a bit of an off year bit of an off here um i just look at that team and how loaded they are up front but um oh you know what at the same time coming into the year they were rocked with injuries on defense it was shaking going into the year but um you just look at the talent this team has i think it's you kind of have to expect it but um hella bucks had an amazing year their forwards have been great i think them getting calgary in the first round it's it's nothing to complain about if you're a jets fan that's i would enjoy that matchup that's going to be awesome for us to watch so if I'm a Jets fan, I'm not really that disappointed, honestly. Yeah, I'm not disappointed either. Just look at all the defensemen they lost uh, coming into the year, Bufflin, Myers, and just and once you take those two guys out, those two huge guys who can really cause a matchup problem for the other team, I think you're looking at them like, okay, you know what, you're just be thankful you're in the playoffs because I don't think anyone expected them to make that, especially with their defense being so thin and uh, they made the most of their opportunity. Now they're playing Calgary on the weekend. They're going to kick that off. I think they match up well. With so if anything, I think they should be happy with the kind of matchup they got because there's more question marks for Calgary than there is Winnipeg. And uh, Calgary needs their skill guys to step up. And I think Winnipeg might be able to take advantage of that and get past this round. Yeah, so overall, guys, um, if we had to maybe pick two 
before it actually kicks off. I'll, I guess I'll start with mine because I've, I've had this for quite some time. I don't know why. Like I, I've been back and forth with my predictions, especially in the East. It's a lot harder than I've actually anticipated. I think Pittsburgh's going to run over Montreal. That's just my opinion. Um, believe it or not, I actually have Pittsburgh going the distance. I have them going to the finals. I just think this is the year where now, especially with COVID, Sidney Crosby's rested up. Malkin's looking solid. I don't even want to imagine a healthy Chris Letang. Um, I also like Tristan Jari stepped up big time when no one uh, expected it. Matt Murray, another guy where this could have easily rejuvenated him. We all know that his father passed away. I think it was a year ago. And now I think it just gave him a little more closure. You know, he probably had a lot of time to mourn and, and to really focus on his game and his workouts. So I'm going with Pittsburgh in the Eastern Conference to go. And I also have the Vegas Golden Knights going to the Stanley Cup Finals. So right now my prediction is going to be the Penguins versus the Vegas Golden Knights. All right, well, this is this is no fun because I also have the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> I don't know. They're just Vegas... Vegas pisses me off. They came into the league just as a Leafs fan. All the success they have right off the bat, making the finals against the Caps. And then the next year, this year, nothing changed at all. They're one of the top teams in the league. And you look at what Pittsburgh's done over the last little while, Crosby and Malkin and Latang and oh, legends over there. So, yeah, that's my early prediction for the finals, too. Yeah, I'm going to go Vegas easily from the West just because... Looking at their team, what they added, they added Robin Leonard. So now he comes in. Him and Flurry are like your go-to options. If one can't go, you got the other one. Both playing at a Vezina level the past couple of years. So I think Vegas easily goes to the final. I think they might have some trouble if they play St. Louis, if they get matched up maybe in the conference final. But other than that, I don't see Colorado going that far. Uh, they have a nice team, but I don't see them really challenging them. Uh, Dallas, I just uh, there's a lot of question marks there. Edmonton, if McDavid and Drysaddle get hot, they're your threat. And then looking in the East, you have to go with the Leafs, uh, even though I'm a little biased. But if that forward group actually manages to turn things around here and click offensively, I don't know how some of these teams are going to be able to stop that. Same thing with Tampa, uh, Kucherov, and Stamkos. So I don't go, I'm not going to go with Pittsburgh just because I'm still missing something. Maybe Marlow will be able to uh, like contribute to that, but... I see them missing something on their third and fourth line that I don't think they have compared to the Leafs and Tampa and like the Boston, like what they have on their third line. So with that, I'm just going to go Toronto and Tampa as those two teams. And in the West, I go St. Louis and Vegas. Yeah. Um, I really like the predictions for me in the, in the East, just quickly talking about like the teams that matter and, like the, I'm not gonna like give any credit to guys like Florida and and the Islanders. Like I love those teams. I don't see them sniffing a past the second round, like at all. Any of those teams, even Philly. I love Philly. You know, I love the story that's come out of the dressing room with Limblom and everything that's kind of clicking with Philly. I really, I really love the story. But I just don't see them going in with the rest, potentially taking on a Pittsburgh and defeating them. I just don't see that happening. So for me, believe it or not, I, I stuck just like with Pinello. I'm sticking with Pittsburgh and Vegas, but right. Like for the lot, like I was literally contemplating 
saying Boston, St. Louis again, because they're the, basically the same teams. They're very physical. They will wear you down. They have Ryan O'Reilly, who to me, Pinello knows how much I love Ryan O'Reilly. I think he is an absolute star. We saw it in the playoffs last year. He had 21 and 24 games. We just know how important he is to any team that has him. And you look again the other way, you look at Bergeron, Pasta, Marchand. I hate those guys, but they, it's the best line in hockey. And when you have the best line in hockey, you get a lot of wins. Tuka Rask is another great goaltender. Again, he is getting older, but he just keeps proving us wrong time and time again. He'll, he'll shine. And of course, guys, we can't forget about Jordan Bennington. This guy, even this year, he was solid. I, I wouldn't be surprised if him and Flurry battle it out in a conference finals. That just is absolutely wonderful. So for me, I think those are the main four teams that I expect to go far. Uh, I'm not saying the Leafs won't be successful. I just think Boston time and time again has their number. And I think that's not going to change this season. If they do so. For, um, for Tampa Bay, how disappointing will it be if they get knocked out before the conference finals? Because I'm just thinking if they go out in another disappointing fashion and looking at that team, like something would have to change there. No, their coach. They're bringing in Mikey. <laughs> they're getting rid of their coach 100%. Yeah, they'd probably, they'd probably look at Cooper and say, okay, you might have to go now. Because they were even, they were, they were, that was a rumor earlier in the season. When, you know, when things weren't going right early in the year, you had guys like Palat, Tyler Johnson. The guys weren't really going. Even uh, at one point, Braden Point was struggling. So I don't know. Like we talk about contracts, we've talked about Tampa for a while. Like how the hell do they have all these magnificent players? And then you talk about the trade. They traded JT Miller. Look how great JT Miller was this year for Vancouver. So some of the management decisions, they've gone under the radar. But some of the management decisions in in Tampa Bay, I think over the last couple of years, has kind of been a little. Uh, head scratching even like Pat Maroon fantastic on St. Louis last year getting you know I think he got actually the game winning the Stanley Cup winning goal in game seven but the fact that they would sign him in Tampa Bay knowing that their offense is already loaded Sorelli believe it or not has gotten better every game that I've seen him play so there there's just some they, they've been signing some guys that barely play and it, it is great to have role players and you know depth at forward, kind of like how we're looking at the Leafs, just talking about Robertson and and Spezza and Clifford, and which one you you know you'd sub out. But when you look at Tampa Bay and you have guys like Braden Point, you have guys like Nikita Kucherov, Stamkos, Palat, Sorelli, Johnson. Like this is going to start becoming eye popping news when you start losing and you don't become successful. So, kind of like I like. Pinello, I like how you kind of just brought that in quickly because I have no idea what would happen. They're a team that's been, they've been structured so perfectly. At least that's how we thought of it the last two, three years. And if you're not going to win anything, are you really structured perfectly? So like Steve, I think Stamkos doesn't have a cup. This is the best chance he's going to have to win with this team. And he's like 29, 30 years old. I don't think they have a better shot than right now if they don't get it within the next like two, three years. Well, yeah, again, that's that's when the management has to look at how impactful can Braden Point be. He's 22, 23 years old. Can he take the reins as the number one center if they start seeing Stamkos, you know, become a little more, 
you know, upset with his role and upset with the the organization. I mean, he just signed an eight year deal two years ago, and you know, unfortunately, the injuries have crept up on Stamkos, but. He's gotten so close. Like, I remember that finals with Chicago. That was absolutely amazing. Kaloran played his ass off. Guys like that, role players. And I'd like, okay, I'm just going to get to my point. Tampa Bay, if they lose this year, this is just an eye opener. You, you talk about the Sirkachev trade. They, they, they got Sirkachev, they traded Jonathan Drouin. Is Drouin potentially a better fit? in Tampa Bay than like a Palat. Cause we've seen Palat there for a long time and he hasn't done, I guess enough to put them over the hump. We saw, you know, they had a great rookie year, Palat and Johnson. They went far. They didn't get the job done. How many more times can we start talking about Tampa before they actually get the job? Like look at St. Louis last year. Like did any of you think, like three, four years ago when St. Louis was consistently making the playoffs, did you ever think, yeah, this team's going to win the Stanley Cup in three, four years? Because that never crept in my mind, not once. When you have teams like Chicago and L.A. and Anaheim and San Jose in the playoffs those years, I never thought St. Louis was going to win. And guess what? They they made a few big moves. They got, you know, Pareko. They got a, a couple other big names. I, I mean, David Perron last year was monumental for them. And, you know, O'Reilly, I think, you know, I think Tampa needs to make a move like that. They need to go out and they need to take a huge risk and it has to pay off for them because right now the team they have, they're not tough enough. And I don't think they have the mental uh, capacity to go all the way. But I guess, Alino, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I see what you, everything you said. Like, I agree with. And then you look at Tampa. The only big moves they really went after were they took advantage of New York. The waiver wire, too, with, like, Girardi. His contract was bought out, so they got him. And we saw what it did last year. They thought it was going to bring that chemistry with uh, McDonough back. And Girardi wasn't the same. He was a little older, and we saw what happened. He retired, so... They took risks like that, but in terms of like a big trade, I agree. I think they have to make some other big trade. Maybe it is trading Stamkos and seeing what you can get out of them, or maybe it's looking at your back end, take advantage of you have Sergachev and trade McDonough away for maybe a young defenseman and another skilled guy they can put on the third line. So I think that's what they have to make a move on if they get eliminated early here. But if they go to the finals, I don't think they can really... Like go to their ownership group and say, we're going to trade Stamkos, we're going to trade McDonough and get another player and take a risk. I think it would have to take another first-round exit for that to happen. That's it. That's it for hockey. I mean, pretty much. I don't, I don't know if you guys want to add anything, but uh, I guess now we'll go to Pena- I mean, uh, Alino. You talked about a lot of transactions that happened in wrestling. A lot of people jump and ship. Just start talking about those names. Yeah, we got a little free agent frenzy in the ring, in the wrestling world. Uh, Impact Wrestling, surprisingly, I don't know where all this money came from, but they loaded up. They uh, acquired some free agents to some deals. Uh, Deanna Perrazzo, they got the Good Brothers. They got Keith Slater, uh, EC3, Eric Young into the mix. So Motor City Machine Guns are now back, the tag champs. Uh, a lot of names. So I guess I'll bring this to you, Chris, first. Uh, all these names going to Impact Wrestling, is that going to bring some interest back to the product? 
or are they still just trying to build as many names as they can and then they'll just leave right when they become a big enough name? <laughs> uh, I hope the second one is not the case because, you know, you always got to work hard for what you become and you can't just, I mean, if you want to build a legacy, you wouldn't just leave, but you know, everyone is a little selfish like that, but I do agree. I think it's fantastic for impact wrestling. Um, I haven't really been following them the last couple of years, but um, what I have seen, especially with that run, unfortunately now Tessa Blanchard is not with TNA anymore, but what she really did there and you know what Brian Cage did and a lot of those other guys, I thought, you know, it was really eye-opening because WWE and especially, you know, the new emergence with another wrestling promotion in AEW, that's going to, that's going to, you know, uh, make TNA kind of become an afterthought. So I think, you know, them getting a lot of these guys and reaching out, I think it was very, very ballsy for them. They know what, what position they're in and, and they knew that they needed help. So I think it's very appropriate. And I think we need to give them a round of applause for going out and really grabbing like eight talented individuals. And I really think that this will help their company in the long run. And I really do believe that EC3 will be the TNA champion soon. You guys remember when Cody said that uh, our AEW roster is going to have like 5% WWE guys? <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> but for it, for Impact, I fucking... I love this. This kind of happens every few years with Impact, where it's kind of like it's kind of like a rebuild, and then you just have a whole new roster. But you see the guys that went there and what they've done in the past. Like I'll bring it up again. Like the Good Brothers, you got Saban and Shelley, EC3, Eric Young, Slater. Like these are all WWE jobbers, but these are all guys before that have put on amazing performances elsewhere. So in Impact, they'll definitely get the opportunity. Uh, I'm so excited for Anderson and Gallows. I remember just when they showed up on Raw and all of the buzz there, and they didn't really do a whole lot with their tag team excellence. So Impact's rolling right now. Deanna Perazzo is already the fucking knockout champion. That didn't take long, so awesome stuff over there. And uh, AEW last night uh, got a fucking back. Uh, didn't put them in Jurassic Express, which is a little... Uh, puzzling i guess uh and then they got matt cardona formerly zach Ryder. uh he's in the mix now with cody and uh the dark order so he's probably feuding with the dark order uh what are your thoughts on uh the man formerly known as zach Ryder? is uh a new thing in his career will he'll finally be able to be a star it's one of those things where he he is really close comparison i know pinello probably won't like this but too bad I'm going to say it anyway. I think this guy, um, when I when I first saw him on AEW the other night, he immediately reminded me of Ty Dillinger and how, you know, the opportunity in WWE the last couple of years was not there at all. And we knew the talent was there and he comes to AEW and he just looks refreshed. But here's my point. Ty Dillinger right now is not really doing anything. Sean Spears is not really doing anything in AEW. I don't know if this is um, kind of don't really know where this is going to go. Like, that's my thing with Zack Ryder. Like, we know he's been a U.S. champion, an intercontinental champion. He's brought that Internet buzz. But I don't know what his value will be. Yeah. OK, I don't, I don't uh, know what his value will be yeah. with, with AEW. I'm uh, I'm excited for him though, just because, you know, how long has he been with WWE since 2007, eight? 
and he's kind of been in those. Yeah, like just watching him. Yeah, coming out on AEW, he just he always looks refreshed. Like regardless of what he's doing uh, in WWE, like anytime he has a segment, he always gives it his all. He's always a hundred percent. Guy's an amazing athlete. He's a great speaker. So like, I I see the Ty Dillinger comparisons. I get what you're saying, but uh, fuck, I hope they could switch it up with him. Like ditch the Long Island IZ thing, maybe see something new. I want to see a different side to Zack Ryder or Matt Cardona. I just feel like, okay, like we're um, in terms of like character with, with Matt Cardona and, and, you know, now you just said he's going to, he's going to feel with the dark order. If this, if the big payoff here is he's going to be Cody Rhodes for the TNT championship, um, I don't really see him getting any better than that in AEW. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah. do appreciate him going there, him, 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 him starting a new a new lifestyle. You know, I, I think this is a guy that kind of like with Hawkins going to, which to me it amazes me how both of them they've been so intertwined forever, and now they're both on separate um, shows. I think that's absolutely. I think that's something else we we did we don't really talk about is Hawkins now with TNA and. And Zack Ryder with AEW. I never thought that would happen. But, like, just look at what they did two years or last year or two years ago at WrestleMania. They made nothing out of something. They won the tag titles. There was a whole losing streak there. Like you said, Pinello, they were known in WWE as jobbers. And now you have an opportunity to go to a different company and make some, you know, make yourself be, be worth something. And this is where Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, Going up against the Dark Order with Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes, he's been running AEW. I love what he's done with the open challenges. Anybody from any company can come out, challenge him. So this is where you're not only promoting the title, you're promoting different brands, you're promoting different superstars that can come onto your show. So I think what Cody Rhodes is doing business-wise is absolutely incredible. But in terms of Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, if the best-case scenario here is for him to beat Cody Rhodes, I think that's already better than anything he's done in the last six, seven years with WWE. So um, I'm really happy for Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona. I really hope that he does get this opportunity here. And I hope to see him strive and, and you know, be a little better version of Sean Spears because Sean Spears right now has not really done much in AEW. Another uh, interesting acquisition here by AEW, Vicky Guerrero, uh, the new manager for Nyla Rose and, the former Funkadactyl. Uh, where is this going? Uh, do you see any high hopes for either his career, or should they have uh, had her manage somebody else on the roster? Wow, um, Pinello, you could you, you you could start with that. Uh, you know what? You put Vicky Guerrero with anyone, they're a fucking star. Because every time Vicky Guerrero comes out, I start laughing, and then that. <laughs> That's a reaction, and that's what you want. <laughs> so that's a weird pairing. I don't know how it's going to go. Nyla Rose is a fucking beast, but like having Vicky talk all the time, and you guys remember the good old days. She just comes out, and everyone just immediately starts booing. And you got the last name there, so I haven't, I didn't see the, the her debut or what's going on, but just hearing that, I'm already excited. Yeah, I agree. I think Nyla Rose is an absolute beast. She's another person that needs. She's like the feet. I don't know what it is. When I look at Nyla Rose, I think of Ryback. I don't know why. Like, she's a powerhouse and she can't talk on the mic. 
So I, I think it's perfect to have a girl like Vicky Guerrero, a girl that stirs it up every time she walks out, like Pinello says. I think it's perfect. It's a great fit. She's gonna win the she's gonna win the the title again uh, sometime soon. I don't know when, but I'm excited to see Nyla Rose win it. And uh, I think this is only gonna be great for the entertainment uh, aspect of AEW, especially with Vicky Guerrero being in the mix there, because like we said, she's always been money on television. Yeah, and there's something else AEW. I was just thinking about now, like. John Moxley has been champion since January when he beat Jericho. That was supposed to be like this big payoff and everything. Then all these other acquisitions that they get come over, like Brody Lee. What happens? Loses clean. Uh, Brian Cage comes in with all this hype with Taz as his manager. Loses clean. So is there a problem here with Moxley as a champion? Like, Should they have uh, ended his title reign? Or does this even do anything positive for all these new guys coming in? If you're going to get a title shot. You're, it's like a conclusion already. You're losing to Moxley clean uh, in that matchup. Take uh, that one. Yeah, go Pinello. <laughs> um, yeah, I think all the new guys coming in, is it's very WCW. Like, it's the one thing they said they weren't going to do, and they're doing it, like, just a little after a year. Well, I don't mind that he's been champion the whole, this whole time, but... Guys coming in every week are kind of like it's taken away from all the attention that Moxley's getting because these guys are debuting all the time and they're losing clean right away and then their values kind of diminish right off the bat. So like it's kind of a it's a tricky situation. I, maybe he should have lost a title. Not sure how, but uh, maybe you guys can tell me. I'm not gonna lie. I think this is all a plan for him to turn heel in the long run. I feel like Moxley. Um, ever since winning from Jericho, a lot of people already did not like that. Uh, I, for one, did not like that. I thought Jericho should have held on to it a little bit longer. You guys already know where I'm probably going to head with this. Um, I do think Kenny Omega needs to win the the, the, the title. I, I don't see why he hasn't. I know he's he's hinting at a heel turn with um, with a Page there, Hangman Page. I think they're going to feud sometime down the line as well. But if this is all just to make Moxley, you know, get, uh, get him some heat, you know, you can maybe do a double turn with someone down the line, um, then so be it. You know, I really do see Cody Rose maybe feuding with Moxley down the line as well. If a guy like a, like a Matt Cardona can maybe beat Cody Rhodes for the title. Um, I know, like even last night, like MJF, he, 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 he's going to feud now with, with Moxley for the title. Like, I, I love MJF. I think he's absolutely fantastic. But, like, if this guy loses to Moxley, um, it's going to take a long time for MJF, I think, to recover. I know we all know how great he is, how important he is to AEW. But I feel like it's too soon for him to be going after the top dog and John Moxley already. I think Kenny Omega versus Moxley has to happen sooner rather than later. Because, damn, man, I, you just said he's held it since January. It's almost August, and I can't really remember like more than two matches that he's had in his reign. So I'm not blaming Moxley. I'm just saying it's it's been very tough for him, and you know with this whole COVID. But uh, yeah, man, I, I'm on the Omega bandwagon. You, you you need to give Kenny Omega the the title. Yeah, I agree with that, hundred percent. I think like I like what they're doing with Omega and Page, but just imagine if that wasn't for the tag title. 
they were kind of feuding with the world title involved. Like FTR is with Hangman Page, it looks like. Uh, the Elite, like the Young Bucks are all going to be together with Kenny Omega. So I think that was a missed opportunity by not having Kenny Omega maybe at double or nothing. He should have challenged for the world title and won it. And you could add Moxley going another direction. And you could add Kenny Omega and Hangman go at it. I think that would have been refreshing for their brand because right now with Moxley as champ, he beat Chris Jericho. So a casual person tuning in is going to probably think, okay, I'm watching WWE. Like, what's going on here? Uh, that guy, Dean Ambrose, is a world champ. He faced Chris Jericho. Uh, then this guy comes about, and he's facing Luke Harper. Like, what the hell are we doing? So I think they really should have had Kenny Omega win the title. I think him as a tag champion is not really doing much for just everything, all the hype that he came in with. So, yeah, I agree with that. I think Kenny should be champion eventually. I don't want to see MJF take the title. I think it's too soon. But uh, if there's a way to get it off him and put it to either Hangman or Kenny, they should uh, look at doing that soon before it gets too late. It's already been, uh, they're like a year and a half in, and Kenny hasn't even sniffed the title yet, other than the little thing with Paige. I think they'll make that like a big deal going forward. They'll be like, we brought you into AEW to be the cornerstone of this brand and you haven't had any world title success or you haven't even sniffed the main event picture. So I think they could work with something like that a little down the line if Kenny does, in fact, still stay in the tag division. And who knows, man. It's just one of those things, too. Like, you just brought up a lot of WWE matchups. Dean Ambrose versus Luke Harper. Dean Ambrose versus... You know, Chris Jericho, I feel like this is where they have really screwed up. Like you, you had Pac and then he left. You've had a, a number of talented superstars. For me, I think they easily could have had the reins here. Is this AEW or is this WWE? Did you do you want to be different or do you want to just run with the old run of the mill and just be like WWE? Because for me, that's what it's felt like. So even like you're bringing back guys like Jack Swagger and putting them in you know, in this group, yes, with, with different guys that we've never seen before, but, like, there are a lot of WWE names that are getting the pushes over. Like, for example, that match that Darby Allen had uh, on AEW uh, with Chris Jericho I thought was absolutely phenomenal. I'd say maybe push a guy like a Darby Allen, make that different. You have a guy like a Joey Janela. This guy, you know, a lot of people are still getting their feet wet with him. Maybe have this guy go up for it. Maybe you could just have Cody Rhodes drop the title. He can go for it. You could have a guy, even like a Sean Spears, maybe even go for it. Switch it up. Instead of having John Moxley just be handed the title and have a pretty, pretty boring reign. For me, this reign is kind of similar to the United States Championship reign that Dean Ambrose <laughs> had back all those years ago. Because guess what, guys? It's not memorable whatsoever. I don't remember a damn thing from that rain, and I don't remember a damn thing from this rain. So for me, I'm not blaming Moxley. I think everything he's done, you know, with the cards he's been dealt, he's done it, he's doing his thing. But at the end of the day, AEW has to be better at promoting new talent, not just signing these guys, having a hyped-up segment, and then having them lose clean to John Moxley because Brian Cage coming out and looking as dominant as he was with Taz. And then you're telling me this guy loses that, that to me, that was just mind boggling. You have a manager, you have all this and you lose. So for me at the law in the long run, like Pinello, you said with the whole Kenny Omega, they could build a storyline around it, how he hasn't won anything. 
I feel like it, a year and a half is way too long. I feel like this is where he needs to start being vocal and he needs to say, hey, I know I'm the tag champ with Paige. Maybe you could give it to Jurassic Park. You could give it to the Young Bucks. You could give it to Pentagon and them if they want to come back. You could give it to even, uh, you know, the Revival, <laughs> FDR. Yeah. So, like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of tag teams out there that could hold the titles. And Kenny Omega and Paige, yes, you know, they're great independent wrestlers, but they're not a tag team. So I think these two guys have to go into the world title picture Guys like Brody Lee, guys like Brian Cage, for now, they also need to be mixed up in that picture, but they shouldn't be given title shots just at will because they made their debut and and they beat some guy on AEW night. So for me, they're doing everything right. It's just the only thing that they're screwing up on is the big title. So I think they need to fix that. And other than that, AEW will be rolling. Well said. Well said. Like it. Yeah, maybe Orange Cassidy can come in, King of Sloth style, become the world champ. Has a nice debate with Jericho next week. That should be fun. Uh, I guess the last thing we'll talk about quickly here is news about SummerSlam. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, there's a lot of news out there that it might either be on a beach or on a boat. So... <laughs> What are your thoughts on this? Should they go with the beach? And maybe if they're able to have some fans very far away from the actual ring and the setup, uh, distant, far apart from each other, I think that would be a much better visual than if they're on a ship like uh, AEW did with Jericho's cruise. I'm going like with the beach the idea. idea. I'm going with the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see Braun Strowman get thrown over. That'd be funny. <laughs> Uh, you know, like those WrestleMania access shows, like where they have the ring, like in the middle of the street and the million fucking people surrounding it. You could have like the ring, like in the sand there. I'm just trying to picture that like a bash at the beach setting. That'd be pretty cool. Like they could throw anything at us now and we'll just be like, whatever. Cause COVID fucked everything up. So we're just seeing so many new things. So I'm down for whatever the beach would be awesome though. Yeah. You can maybe sell some balcony space. So People are outside. Go on a beach, I guess, that's close by where you can actually set that up. Have fans on a balcony somewhere standing only. Have some tables if they pay the money. Because Vince McMahon needs that right now with WWE. And maybe you have Dominic versus Seth Rollins, eye for an eye with sand. And uh, get Dominic revenge for his dad. Comes out to the ring. Gets a big W. Uh, what about uh, actually another thing? Randy Orton is going for the world title, so there takes right. out yeah that takes out something else now because <laughs> Dolph Ziggler has nothing to do again after oh. that, and uh, our boy Brock doesn't have anything to do so far. So what are you doing with these two guys? I guess oh we go with uh, Ziggler versus the the top one of the top faces on Raw, and I'll go with Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Ooh. Oh, with Bobby though, that's gotta they gotta pick it up with Lashley if they're gonna wanna do that. Cause like now it feels like the focus is on MVP trying to fucking recruit guys instead of Bobby. But like fuck everyone's waiting for that match. I really hope we get it. For Ziggler, we say it all the time. The guy's a cockroach. I don't think anyone knows. He'll pop up somewhere and they'll throw him in a feud and it'll be fucking excellent. Yep, uh, Alino, knowing uh, knowing uh, how everything works out, he'll probably go back to SmackDown one night, super kick the Miz, 
And there's your feud again. Your summer Another slam. trade. <laughs> He's the trade condition that pops up everywhere. Atta boy. <laughs> to vote his cash in for the title at all? No, no. Not I just yet. I just feel like he's a guy that can just go from Raw to SmackDown and no one would say anything. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever, who cares? It's Ziggler. He can he can do it. How pissed would you be if Otis goes to NXT and catches in on Keith Lee? And the two big boys uh, for three months. That's pretty funny. I don't think what they know what they're doing. Adam Cole. What was that? I was just say, what do you guys think of Adam Cole? I think he needs to chill. <laughs> we're, uh, we're approaching the end here with him. What do you mean? Like with the company? Oh, no, just with the brand. I just, you know, you look at like him and Gargano and Champa, and it's you're like, how much more can you really do? <laughs> like he just lost for uh, the, the match with Keith Lee for both titles. That's. That's fucking monumental there. I like that would be a phenomenal way to be sent off. So I just I don't know going forward what they're gonna do with him. I still can't believe Finn Balor's in NXT still. That 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 to me is eye popping. Guy's a killer. I guess I'll end off this podcast by saying quickly, because I gotta go in like five minutes. Bull Bull. This guy for Denver. Is this guy the real deal, or is this just a guy that's just been hot? Is this, or is this, uh, is this guy going to be a real problem here in the NBA? He'll be a real problem, but I will say <laughs> he's two years away from being two years away. <laughs> that, however, you will. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be a, a problem. I think uh, he has the tools there. Uh, I think he could be a difference maker and a problem for opposing teams because you look at the team they have and you throw Bulbo, if he's going hot right there in the paint, uh, a lot of teams are going to have some trouble dealing with both of those guys. So the center position there is uh, solid. The power forward position could be uh, a problem too going forward. So I like what they're doing. Uh, I don't know if it's going to translate into the playoffs, but Starting next year, I think they're they're going to find a way to make it work. All right. That's basically it. That's all I had to ask. Bull Bull, seven foot two, guys shooting threes and blocking. Crazy stuff. Yeah, Alino, let's, uh, let's end this one. All right. That's been uh, episode 90. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, thanks for Mikey for stopping by early on, too, in the middle of his little fishing and reading trip to give his uh, thoughts on Seattle. So that, that was a great uh, way to catch up with him. Maybe we'll find out next time if he's jealous of Sheldon Keefe, but uh, the topic for another day, uh, that's episode 90. Stick around for next week.